Hello everyone, I'm Ismail Pai Civico and I wish you a very warm welcome to the Civic Podcast. Now, today I'm recording this just the day after I recorded the second episode, so this will be the third episode and I would also like to give some feedback regarding the second episode and um, yeah, speak a bit about, and he, now specifically I would like to speak about uh, fascism, communism uh, and the overall political spectrum and how I see it and how it has been shifting throughout the years. Well, because on the second episode, I spoke, I spoke a bit about collectivism and um, and the way why we need to get more the individualistic point of view for people and base policy on that. Um, I, I wasn't too precise with some things. Some numbers were a bit off, but the general numbers were there, right? For example, the um, the African-American population is around 17 percent, not 13, 16, but 17 percent, uh, 16, 17. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't too precise with my numbers. I tried to keep... Uh, these podcasts as real as I can so I'm not really keep any structure I just try to brainstorm more all throughout so like I said I'm probably going to say a lot of stupid things but I, I, I do hope that it's that it will open or at least motivate you to do your own research about these matters that I am speaking about uh, and of course I did not speak about everything I could speak about um, regarding uh, privilege and white privilege uh, but one thing I would like to make clear yesterday when I was talking about privilege is that privilege is a lot more complicated than just saying that you have a certain type of privilege just by born in this color, right? Or just by having a certain amount of, pig of skin pigmentation. And and that's why I wanted to make a bit of those kind of examples regarding height for basketball, for example, IQ. Um, and then, of course, I mean, there are some cases where white people can be more privileged than black people by the simple fact they're white if, coincidentally, they meet a racist employer, for example, right? That, that can be an example of where white privilege is actually... Um, present in that case but to to take white privilege as a general rule um i think is the wrong way to go uh, i think we all have some sort of privilege inside of us a, a small spark a small flame and we need to exploit that as much as we can and become the best the best version of ourselves that we can become uh, through each privilege that we that each one of us possess and um actually Solzhenitsyn spoke this about uh, about oppressor oppressed and uh, privilege and what everyone has a bit uh, and and the way to see it put it putting it simply um, is to get the privilege that you have uh, whatever it may be that thing that makes you special you need to try and use that in a way that helps others right uh, try and use that uh, trying to make the most out of it because if you don't, that would be just disrespectful towards the people that didn't have that privilege that you had. So everything that you have that can bring something to society, bring something to the people around you and make their lives better uh, and make your life more meaningful at the same time, uh, it really is a positive thing for everyone. Uh, so that's just uh, food for thought right there. So yes, yeah, so I just wanted to give some precision re re regarding privilege and why I thought, and why I thought it was a... It, it, it was an important topic because we, we, we're coming to a point where we are basically just judging people based on their skin color, right? Uh, judging people based on their gender, which is not the way of seeing things. We're no, we're no longer judging the content on the character of each person or each individual. We're clearly judging them by physical characteristics or by things they represent. Um, and that way, we really are forgetting what makes each one of us unique, which is looking in a in a collectivist manner, groups of people, which is seeing colour, gender. We're not seeing the person behind that 
that face, right? That body. And and that way of seeing things, that way of seeing society, I think it's really re- not just dangerous, but but wrong in a way. Um, it's more really wrong, ethically wrong. And then, well, moral and ethics, that, we can speak about that in another video. But I, I just wanted to uh, really make that clear. Um, I just wanted to try and give some facts in the first episode of, of uh, some things to maybe try and dismantle or give another point of view on what constitutes actually white privilege um i mean you can have all the cards since you're born right you can be wealthy you can be a man you can be white um which could potentially mean that you're more privileged that general that the general majority you're like part of that one percent but the left likes to speak likes, likes to speak about a lot like speak a lot about the one percent uh but anyway so yeah i mean you can be born in a way where you have every single sort of privilege right and no real disadvantages the disadvantage we all have is that we're all human so we're all prone to misery we're all prone to death i mean we're all going to die at some point and it's just just think about that right so the the whole the, the disadvantage i mean you can look at it both ways you can look at it as an advantage or a disadvantage depending on who and depending what perspective you get on life right or on meaning and that also goes back to the question well to the example i gave uh, in uh, in the second episode saying what is the meaning of life and and that's an overall process that we all need to go and bit in introspection within ourselves and think what is our meaning what is our goal what what, what is our responsibility in society as individuals um and that's really what i want to get at right uh, so yeah i mean you can be born with all sorts of privileges uh, it's just the best way to go forward is to see how you can exploit that privilege that you have in order to make other lives people other people's lives uh, better uh, or more meaningful or just try and contribute uh, to society yeah so today I'm, I want to speak about uh, the political spectrum the left the right uh, and namely fascism and communism specifically uh, like I said I don't really have any structure no paper nothing to uh, base myself on actual very precise numbers but i'm just giving a general idea of the way i see things and uh, the way things are going right now so first of all regarding the political spectrum like i explained in the first episode and some people have this way of seeing the political spectrum other people don't they see it in a way as a horseshoe so they see a horseshoe in the end that the extremes are fascism and communism and then you have the center just at the middle of the horseshoe so then more you go towards the sides well, more you become radical and more you become extreme uh, in your vindications, either on economical factors, uh, social factors, some sort of nationalism, um, depending to, to, to which side you shift, right? Um, there are a number of reasons. I'm going to give one reason that I think is one of the mo- most common that why communism and fascism hasn't really um, worked. And I think it's... It, it's, it's, it's very weird actually to compare these two because in a sense communism was a regime um or based on the uh on the ideas of Karl Marx right and it was very well articulated it was very very bright right he he, he was a very intelligent person he thought of an utopia that seemed viable to reach right just basically based on on human kindness and just expecting that we're all kind that we're all going to share our things uh with everyone and we can all live there's enough for everyone we can all live the same uh at the same level so completely disrupting the whole 
hierarchical structures that our society had or that our society has today and that's the same movements that are coming around that they want to completely shift the hierarchy and have everyone at the same level there are a number of problems with that specifically psychological and, and philosophical but also economical and social uh, namely because if if you shift the hierarchy in a way where most of the people are at the same level on on a higher level you have you hit the the glass ceiling right um, you have nothing to aspire to um, there's not that that job in your company where I want that job. I want to become the manager of this of this section, and that's an issue right there because then it it strips people of meaning in a way. So that's why that shift or that complete radical change in the hierarchical structures that we had before in our society. Um, the problem with the hierarchical structures are well, there's one main problem. It if it becomes tyrannical. And it doesn't leave the chance of people in in, in in lower part in lower parts of that hierarchy to go to go upwards the hierarchy right and to evolve inside that hierarchy and and that's the problem with hierarchies we know that problem is tyranny uh, we've seen that through the totalitarian regimes namely fascism also it was a problem with uh, with hierarchy because it becomes tyrannical it can become tyrannical and that's why I said actually I think I said in the first episode I'm not entirely sure uh, but I said basically that the left and the right are equally necessary. The right is necessary to keep those hierarchical structures in place. The left is necessary to keep them in check so they don't become tyrannical. So I say, okay, we, ha we have these structures, we're going to accept them, but we're going to keep a very close eye on you guys so that does not become tyrannical. Uh, and that the people under that hierarchy or inside that hierarchy do have the rights and the possibility to go upwards and to evolve as people, right? Uh, nowadays is as easy to fall as it's easy to go up. I mean, um, if you have a big company, right, and the stock completely, well, shoots. I mean, I mean, okay. So the stock completely uh, goes on a free fall, right? Your company can get a really big hit, and there you, you can, as you were at the top, and now you can just end in the bottom. We see now a lot with uh, with small. Uh, with small companies and, um, and 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 local shops and everything with coronavirus that they were doing quite okay and then just because they have they had to close during three months they completely died why because they had no income and they had to pay the workers and then maybe the state didn't put the necessary measures in order to help those people uh, so, so so that's a bit explaining the hierarchies and I'll come to a second because that's basically uh, what the political spectrum or is it's constituted uh, of its different types of hierarchical structures that want to be implemented on one side or another. Now, uh, the problem between fascism and communism, it was, and this actually uh, Jean Piaget that ex explained this, but through a different manner, specifically by studying the, um, uh, the behavior of children, right? Um, he said that, so if you get children, children need to play, right? To, to gain social skills, they need to play with each other, they need to interact with other humans, with other children. And generally, the game that works best with children is the game that everyone accepts. So if you're a kid and you're playing um, football, for example, right? So, so you have two football matches. I'm going to take football, but then it's like when kids play house or they play doctors and all these kind of things. And then, of course, people can say, oh, if they play house, that's completely patriarchal because then the, 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 the girl is always going to be the, the wife in the house. And then that's not true because then she can be a man. OK, fair enough. But that's why I'm taking football as an example. And I'm not getting into the playhouse uh, topic. And if a guy wants to play with Barbies, then fair enough, the guy can play with Barbies. Let's just stop. Let's just leave that there. 
Uh, so yeah, so playing football. So if you put two football matches that are organized, the first one is where everyone actually chooses their position. So they're happy with their position. They're happy to play that game, right? And the other one, they're all placed onto one position because someone said so. Let's say the more, the more charismatic guy in the group of, we're talking about six, seven-year-olds, eh? There's always, I remember there was always this guy that said, you go there, you go there, you do that. And then there was always people never actually agreed. But the best games that actually did work were the ones in which everyone agreed to play the game. And if you put those two game so the same football match just that in one people have the choice on get the position they want to play and then the other one people do not have that choice and they need to play regardless if you put those in the competitive manner and compare them the one on which the football match in which people had the choice to play their position and like to play that position is going to win right it's going to prevail over the over the other and the problem with totalitarian with totalitarianism in both aspects one of well one of the problems are many problems with both but one of the problems that actually makes them common is that both of them is actually based on obliging people doing things they wouldn't do otherwise right and that's why i do think it in these aspects the liberal manner is a lot easier just like my way of seeing things is leave people do whatever the hell they want but in a certain set of structures right whether they are legal societal uh social economical economic i always say economical but it, it, it well it doesn't mean that it, it's not the same thing economical and economic structures so that's my way of seeing things um to, to leave as much freedom as possible to the people but then of course always in, in 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 these set of structures because if you didn't have these law for example uh legislation if you didn't have these measures um, it would just or be chaotic we need to have a set of rules to be able to live with each other in society right uh but then leaving us the space to be free enough to do whatever the hell we want basically uh that's basically the idea we can go a lot more into that but yeah anyway so political spectrum the way i see it. so that's something in common that you can see between uh, communism and fascism namely that people need to be obliged to comply with the regime um and also a, a, a difference between communism and fascism that like i said just before that communism was very well thought right it was very well thought but it was predicated on the idea that people are nice or that people are good uh, which is not necessarily true right uh, people have different objectives people think in different ways uh, and we all thought that we could all live in a um, we could all live equally everyone was just nice enough to share everything but then what happened then that uh, like the Stalinist regime killed, for example, uh, a big part of the best um, uh, crop growers, or crop growers, um, anyway, uh, of Ukrainian uh, crop growers that had the best crops and they killed them all because they had the best crops or they put them in gulags. Uh, and then in the end, they just had the worst famine, uh, one of the worst famines in history at that point, uh, or, in, or in recent history in any case. And there's some things that happened. Compared to fascism, well, fascism was more like a, a a movement of a crowd, let's say, um, more more brainwashing per se, right? Uh, so fascism was more brainwashing in a sense because uh, it wasn't that well thought out. It was just pure nationalistic greed and and evil and malevolence and leading to believe that the eradication of Jews was the way for a 
society to prevail and that they were the enemy and have this common enemy, which is happening quite a bit now with some, well, we can see it. I uh, say the common enemy is the man, is the white hetero, heterosexual man. And that's my problem again with, with, these, with, with this kind of narrative to say we have one common enemy and we need to destroy that enemy because we will do better because we will create a fairer society. Because of these people, we have lived horrible lives all our lives. And that's my problem with this way of seeing things. That's my problem. Uh, when you really need to find a way that everyone can just coexist together and understand each other and have good conversations. Um, and that's why this, this thing of looking for a common enemy that we need to destroy and, and build ourselves again on top of its corpse it's just a way that it's never going to work. Uh, we cannot just expect that in a time span of 10 years we'll be able to build something as well as closely to prosperity that we've managed to build throughout the centuries now. And that I came back to the first episode where we need to realise uh, what actually how hard it is to create all everything that we have and that it's not as easy as saying um, I'm just going to implement the, again, uh, the Marxist ideology and that will resolve all our issues. I mean, it's been tested that all throughout the world. So that's a regime that does not work and fascism is a regime that certainly does not work. I mean, that's just that you can see why it doesn't work at the beginning. With communism, it's not as, um, it's not as clear, it's not as easy to understand, right? Because it's, it's, it's better thought out. A lot of intellectuals actually did um, defend that point of view. A lot of intellectuals today are openly self self-proclaimed Marxists at the same time and it's and it's interesting uh, actually Solzhenitsyn wrote something um, like um, have we learned anything weren't the corpses piled high enough right so weren't the corpses weren't, weren't the corpses piled high enough so the people can see what communism actually did around 100 million dead in the whole world uh, more than twice the population that uh, that that fascism killed right so it's throughout the 20th century uh, hundreds of millions of people died because of these totalitarian regimes and i think we found a good way after well not after even before after the second world war i think there are two very important dates in the 20th century it's the end of the second world war and the fall of the berlin war right uh, that really that was really the big well that's for me for me very two important dates in the 20th century uh, so 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 there's where we could see really the really big shifts in society. Uh, and then, of course, we can speak about the creation of the European Union and why it was important at the time and what has changed now since then, to what point is the EU actually relevant today? Um, how can the EU help, let's say, in common understanding in cooperation between countries? Um, and then, yes, well, actually, this, this brings me back to uh, scepticism, right? Uh, because... We hear a lot of the terms, specifically in Brussels and in the EU bubble, let's say, Euroscepticism, and we define it as something bad, right? Um, Euroscepticism, well, when you're going to define someone as a Eurosceptic, basically means that that person is against the EU. That's the main definition that people give it today. But then I say it's not the good vocabulary to use when you call someone Eurosceptic if that person is, is against the EU. Um, I said this in the first episode, saying so that we actually need to ask ourselves about everything, right? We need to ask ourselves questions about everything. We need to contest, contest in a 
in a civil manner, right? So we always need to go the extra mile to understand things. And uh, then, of course, you can never, inside yourself, you can never be sure about anything. And, uh, for example, um, example, me as a Catholic, I'm not really sure in the, in the existence of God, right? But I act as if he was there. But uh, you always ask yourself these kind of questions, and I think for everyone that's religious, they always ask themselves these kind of questions, or you're never sure about one specific answer. Then in life, you will have to act as if you're sure with some things, right? Uh, for example, in a job interview, uh, you'll have to act as if you're 100% sure how to use Excel or how to use Word or you can create a WordPress website. But generally inside ourselves, we, all, we, we should always keep this kind of skepticism uh, inside of us. And when you call someone a Eurosceptic, basically means that that person is against the EU, which again, I do not think is the right vocabulary to use because I think we should all be Eurosceptic in, in some sense. We should always ask ourselves, where does the EU go wrong? Where can it be modified where can it be bettered in some ways um what can it do for the general population um you have to be skeptic a bit about everything right and then again but there's a limit to that skepticism uh, you need to see the facts you need to ask yourself the, the right questions again and uh, get into dialogue with different people that can explain a bit uh things maybe you did not understand at the beginning which all of this sorry my mouth is getting pretty dry so, yes, I do not think that skepticism is the right word to define people that are against the European Union or people that are against specific bodies. Um, I think skepticism is, is, is a good word, right? Skepticism is a good word, and that's something that we need to change a bit the culture around that word and not, be, not let it be so taboo um, in that regard, in any case. So, uh, okay, so, skept uh, so the political spectrum, let's not uh, try and... and well, say a bit in a completely different direction. So the way I see the political spectrum has been gradually shifting in a way where the right of before, so the right side of, of the political spectrum has completely shifted um, and has disappeared in a bit, right? Because some people that maybe consider themselves social democrats in the 90s i'm talking about in in, in belgium in, oh in belgium sorry in in europe in general um their ideas might be if 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 they kept the same ideas that they had in the 90s or the 80s um their ideas might now be better represented by center-right parties why i'm saying that because the right has adopted a bit all these social rights that the left has been pushing for throughout the 90s um gonna take an example uh, the Conservative government in the UK actually uh, did, I think it was uh, something, a train for the uh, for the Gay Pride Month, right? And they've been promoting the the gay movement, they've been promoting uh, gay rights. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, equal sex marriage was actually approved by Conservative. I might be wrong about this, right? But just, um, I'm, I'm not sure if, 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 if equal gay, if... if if same-sex marriage was approved by a conservative government in the UK specifically, I think, I think, or maybe that that was Spain. In any case, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, you don't really see right-wing parties nowadays against um, same-sex marriage in general. I mean, even the Pope. So generally, right-wing parties have always been deeply Catholic in a way, or, or, or Christian in uh, in most European countries and in most Western countries. So, so basically, they 
they kept on going with the Christian culture and the ideas, their, their moral values, their ethical values stayed from there, right? And there are some things that are kind of still a bit mm, not ideal to keep having today, especially when you go to extreme parts of the right, um, when you go a little bit too far. But in any case, it's some right-wing parties, center-right parties have been a, a lot defending LGBT rights and they're they've also they also have a lot of women in there where the women are defending f feminism and women's rights also then of course i don't really like the identity politics side of things and how people have actually tried to politicize all of this uh but um i'm going to give an example so there's a center party or tried to be center party in spain which is called ciudadanos right uh and during the the uh the 8th of march so the 8th of march is women's labor day originally and now it became basically women's day so during the 8th of March, there was a big march that was organized. It's also got highly politicized because of coronavirus and then all the, um, well, how the virus com completely spread itself exponentially during that day, the 8th of March, because there were all sorts of um, concentra concentrations that, that, that took place all around Spain. But in any case, so... And they have an extreme left party in Spain, which is called Podemos, which is basically a communist Marxist party uh, in Spain, and pretty openly so. Uh, I mean, the um, the minister of um, of um, consumo, so uh, of consumption or of well anything that's market and and all of that. So the of the market of consumption, he wrote a book on why I'm a communist or something like that. That was the title. Why I'm why I'm a communist, uh, and that's right. I mean. So they're, they're openly so. I'm not saying anything too too crazy. I'm not supposing they are. They say it openly. So they call themselves that. I can pretty much call themselves communists also. So that's the way it is. And when they were at the march, because basically they are the party that better represents women's rights, they are the ones that pushed for feminism for women, um, they basically took out, chucked out the, the manifestation or of, uh, well, of the concentration on the 8th of March the center party well Ciudadanos is not really center it is try it tries to be center now more than before but it's a bit like center center right ish sometimes depending on the day and depending how they feel in the morning uh so that's basically it so okay so they chucked out all these women from that political party a center party basically maybe center right um because they said you are not women you do not represent our rights uh you do not defend our rights and i say who are you to tell another woman that she can't represent herself or she can't represent she can't vote for the party she wants to vote for i mean if you're a woman that means you need to systematically vote for podemos for the for the extreme left no it really does not and that was something that i really wanted to bring up in the in the second episode which i did of collectivism and all of this it's just because you share a common trait with someone does not mean you need to have the same ideas whether uh, financially economically socially religiously culturally Everyone is, is unique in that regard, right? And then we've had this also in the United States where when black people, uh, African-Americans, uh, well, let's say, well, I hate Trump. <laughs> I think everyone with some common sense uh, doesn't really like him, but he has done some good things. So give credit where credit's due, right? But I don't think Trump is the best candidate for the Republican Party. It's just that it completely made a mockery out of uh, American politics, and rightly so. Uh, I'm, something I'm going to say now that Trump did not win the Democrats lost, right? Um, they've been diving too much into this identity politics and, and collectivist idea that they've lost the voters they could potentially have because of this really 
non nonsenseless game that that they've been trying to play for quite some time now and now we can see it again i'm going to make a prediction now trump is going to win now again in 2020 yeah they they asked for it to be honest uh, the left has been asking for it now for some time since uh well basically the last economic crisis uh economic crisis in 2008 where the whole identity politics game has been really 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 uh, in an exponential uprise throughout the years So anyway, so we can see that the political spectrum has started to shift, right? So the right-wing parties of today are no longer these kind of conservative parties we may think that that we that we that we grew up with. It's not the same way of thinking. Whereas the left has been moving more towards the left, right, in that regard, and that's something dangerous because we don't really know whether where, where the limits are. I mean, we know where the limits are is when it becomes communism, right? That's the limit for me in the left and then on the right is when it becomes uh, some really, well, some sort of fascism or very extreme nationalism in one sense. And that's the limit of the right and there's the limit of the left. The problem is that the limit of the left is not really clear. Uh, on the right, you have, well, you have classic liberal, you have libertarian, you have minarchist, you have conservative, and then you can have some kind of things. On the left, you can have, or you can be like um, progressive liberal, let's say, on center left, excuse me. So on center left, you have social democrat. You can have socialist. Then you can have yeah, basically that's that's more or less the the left side of the spectrum. And we we don't know where it stops. We don't know what kind of policies. I mean, people know there are. Well, maybe you know, maybe I know, but it's not as socially understood where the left goes too far. We know where the right goes too far. That's been highly studied and seen throughout the years. Basically, I mean, isn't Nazi Germany proof enough? But it seems like um, the Stalin regime and the Ma and Mao's regime wasn't proof enough to know where the left goes too far in some cases. And people nowadays are still not understanding that, which I, I, I find it pretty uh, amazing in a, in a way. We do not know where the left goes too far. So Douglas Murray actually explained this this spectrum in a, in a very interesting way. So Douglas Murray is an author, a British author. And, he, and he's written a, a few books, namely the, the Stranger Through Europe, which he speaks about a bit the death of Europe, because he's a, well, he's a, he's a Brexiteer. And then he's wrote another book, which I haven't read it yet, but it, it, it's very interesting in any case, the, the content that I've heard about and I've, and, and I've read a bit. And it's basically the madness of crowds. So basically speaking about all these collectivism and identity politics and how it was going to exponentially increase. And then when, um, when, when Floyd uh, was killed um, by the police, uh, everything that he predicted uh, before the, the previous year, well, became true, right? So then he he added another chapter, I think, in the book, and now he republished it this year. In any case, he, he explains it in a way that you have the political spectrum as a straight line, right? And let's say you have the middle. If you shift a bit towards the right, you don't really have much room, like, you shift a bit towards the right and you say maybe a kind of liberal idea, let's say less taxes, for example, so less taxes for the people, it goes on a free fall and it goes like, okay, center, classic liberal-ish, fascist, right? And that's the way we're seeing things today. It's like, it goes on the right, it's just like a bit towards the right and then it's too far and then you go directly down to fascist. Whereas on the left, it's not exactly as clear. On the left is like you go with the left, you have social democrat, 
socialist, Marxist, because that's okay, communist, because that's okay. And we haven't really placed that limit yet on when the left goes too far. Um, I think the left goes too far when it starts implementing quotas, for example, uh, or starts implementing these collectivist ideas into policy. That's where it goes too far. Uh, and I kept and I keep speaking about quotas, uh, so I think I'll, I'll probably ne next episode I'll make it about that. But I have all the things I would like to speak about too, um, and that's why, like I said, I'm not I'm I'm never going to go into too much. It's impossible to speak about every single detail of every single topic. But I I do want the listeners or the potential listeners to get an idea of where I'm going at or some things that might be interesting for them to learn or to think about. Um, about all of this that I'm, that I'm bringing up onto the table. So that's basically on the political spectrum. We don't really know where the left goes too far. And we've been seeing today that even within the left, some parts don't really agree with each other. Uh, we have the anarchists, which are really the anti-system because they want no system to actually, uh, well, reign over society. That I've read some pretty convincing anarchist theories, which they're convinced, but then again, it's predicated on the idea that that humans are kind enough and organized enough by to organize themselves, right? In a way, which is not at all the case. And then you have also the that also call themselves anti-system uh, that are actually the communists and want more power to the state. So a more clearly outlined system where the state ha has more power. And then now we have this. Well, uh, some words I also hear a lot uh, of on behalf of people of the social justice movement is power dynamics right what does power dynamics actually mean and that's oof, that's interesting to hear uh in it well we speak about power dynamics and all of that a bit later on but it's basically uh you give more power to the state and then you need to think about where do you want your power to go do you want it to be more decentralized or more centralized onto um one one specific body right uh, i think decentralization is the best way so then you can really you can really keep well. It leaves more. It, it leaves less chances for that body in power to become tyrannical, right? It it, it leaves less chances because you have different oppositions of power and of um, and of positions of dominance, right, between the hierarchies. Maybe not. Yeah, but in this case, we could call it dominance, I guess, because uh, I don't really, I don't really like the term. Uh, dominance hierarchies but in, in in this case we could explain it in terms of dominance of of specific bodies that could be the state but now it's been it's been debated i think there was a lawsuit from the u.s government towards google uh what power does google actually hold and that's really scary because it's a body that is not really elected uh, or not elected by the general public uh, we don't really know who actually runs google uh well we know maybe uh, the top positions but it's an abstract Thing, company that is really well that has a lot of power on our lives it actually it decides what kind of content comes onto our screens right YouTube is one of that also that is powered by Google so we don't really know it's all really pretty unclear so we it's become, it's become to a point where Google actually could have more power than the state so we need to see to what point will we actually want that uh, and it's a conversation to be had. Should there be maybe in that regard a bit more power towards the state, or a bit more power towards towards companies in a sense? Should we completely try to break uh, the Google monopole and try to give 
other spaces for the companies with the same objective as Google to to thrive in in that regard also. So those are questions to be had. Who should be in charge or who should possess most of the power? Uh, I personally think when less power, the better. In any case, with less structures that possess the power to dictate what you can do, shouldn't do, what you see and what you shouldn't see. Um, but in the same case, you do need these structures in society um, that make us go and make us and allow us to go exist with each other, right? Uh, for, I'm going to give you an example. If if murder wasn't uh, wasn't a, wasn't a criminal offence, uh, I think people would be killing each other a lot, right? And it's also one of these things, but it it, it it's not entirely clear either because. People don't really care what's also what's against the law or not. That's why we still have murders, for example, and these kind of things. But it is an incentive, let's say, to stop people. But I think more better than the law is really the the moral the moral limits each person puts on themselves. And Nietzsche actually explained quite interesting things regarding the the uh, religion. And 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 Freud actually also explained some things. I think Freud said something like. Uh, when when humankind becomes mature enough, he will no longer need religion or something like that. I think it was Freud. I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, in whoever said that phrase, it's still very interesting to hear. So when humankind becomes mature enough, it will no longer need religion because it, no, it, it will no longer need these metaphors to, to create a moral and philosophical structure within themselves based on the facts or on the things they could see in their everyday lives, right? So that's an interesting point of view. Uh, well, we can speak about philosophy and uh, different uh, authors uh, throughout, that have been there throughout the years a bit uh, on, on another episode, but here I wanted to mainly stay onto the political spectrum and fascism and communism. Um, so yeah, so communism was very, very, very well explained and um, well, it was, basically a masterpiece if you will it was something really that moved the masters in a way uh, that they actually believed what was written and the utopistic idea um i think so there was this i can't remember what well, it was dostoevsky so I, I'm, I'm sorry if i don't really know the names that precisely and who exactly said what but i'm just trying to bring all of the knowledge a bit i've i've, I've heard i've read i know um, into perspective. So I think it was either Dostoevsky or Kierkegaard, I think it was, and they said something that if we get to live in an utopia, we humans will just destroy it all to be able to rebuild it again. Why is that? Because humans like the challenge. If there's no challenge, right, uh, in our psyches, in our minds, or physically, or in our lives, um, why would life be even worth living if there's no challenge, if if we have nowhere to go. I think actually that might be actually one of the factors why most of the people that commit suicide are actually pretty wealthy people, people that already have most things. So we always ask ourselves, how could he commit suicide? I mean, that's he, he has everything, he has money. And that's basically coming back to the communist idea on where the only thing you need to be happy is money. Or all that money will will be the solution to your problem because the idea was that everyone could live a decent life with enough money to feed everyone that everyone could live uh, together right that was 
mainly one of the uh, well to put it simply uh, what what communism wanted to explain and to and, and to bring to the people um but it's not entirely clear if money is actually is the answer to that i mean of course if you have money you have less problems or less things to think about uh, i think that's very interesting also what what socioeconomic uh, position or or statute or, or status can actually change the way people think because one thing for example is the climate change uh, if you're more socioeconomically better positioned let's say in the in the uh, economic uh, hierarchy or in, a, in or in the social hierarchy um, you think more about the environment and you try to actually care more about the environment right because you, you no longer have to think daily about your primary primary needs uh, you have your roof covered you have your uh, your basic needs in food covered uh, clothing education you have your job and all your basic needs that every that every human being needs to be able to survive and live those are covered already without any question and it's pretty easy to go on with your lives so at that point you can actually start worrying about things as the environment but then people say that, that should be a primary need and say okay you, you tell that to the family where they don't even have enough to eat every day or they need to look every single month they need to change apartments because they, because they can't afford the previous one or really all sorts of problems that a lot of people are still having today and tell them uh, you need to worry about the environment so stop buying uh, your two euro kilo meat and start buying more bio and organic meat that you can find from the local farmer that is 15 euros the kilo right um, it's just not it's not logical that way you think and you cannot expect people with less economic capacity let's say to start caring about things like the environment for example not that we should not care but you can't expect that from people automatically and systemically uh and that's a a fight that we should well a fight a yeah a, a conversation that, that that should be had what would be the best way that people actually do start caring more about the environment uh, and how we can protect and how we can slow down climate change and all these kind of uh, issues that we are facing uh, regardless of, yeah anyway um so so those are some things that if if there's no challenge for people and that's why we've seen actually some high uh, high suicide rates where people actually have it all that have money that uh, that are well known that are celebrities or maybe not celebrities but people excuse me really people that have managed to to, to have it all in their lives um, and you ask yourself, why do they? Why would they like to end their lives? People have it way worse, and they don't end their lives. And I think that's also a way that we can't really know what's happening inside people's minds. We can get an idea of different things, but it's always pretty much impossible to actually know what's happening in someone's mind. And that's why psychology and and neuroscience and all that is so interesting and so fascinating, because there are so many different things that come into play and what happens in our minds. And that's probably the biggest and strongest tool or gift that humans do have. It's a, a great cognitive capacity. Um, to think, to discuss, to dialogue uh, with each other. So yes, so the political spectrum. Uh, utopias are not good. Uh, well, I think, like again, I think it was Dostoevsky or Kierkegaard that uh, explained this a bit. I'm, I'm going to try a bit summary of everything I've said now throughout the video and uh, and leave it there so you, you can go out with the main ideas. So utopias in general are not good. Fascism was also based on an utopia, an utopia a nationalistic uh, utopia of where the the Aryan race will prevail because it's the best race and all of that crap they tried to, um, well, propagate uh, throughout those years. Uh, the communist utopia was that we could all live 
equally and fairly uh, and we could all get to human dignity just based on human kindness and goodness and that everyone will comply to the rules if not the good way well the bad way uh, and that we could see the amount of bodies that were piled in that way with people that did not want to comply uh, with the regime uh, or people that didn't really want to comply uh, well yes anyway you got the picture um, and also if we get to the utopia people will just have no meaning or people will just destroy it to be able to have something to strive for in their lives right and that's more or less the more on, on a psychological level what human beings might be able to um, to do or to act in a way where really these things isn't something that we could really is not realistically can't be realistically implemented and we really need to start to realize in that so why people are still claiming to be openly communist and marxist today is beyond me uh that's something that i'll be trying to do if you really consider yourself a communist or a marxist please try and go a bit further in your in your um in your way of thinking and do some research and try and see maybe that there are other ways that we could all make uh, people's lives better uh i think the liberal economic system is something that has worked pretty well uh throughout the years um and then we can speak about that also how how it has bettered the lives of some people i mean uh, there are some quite good numbers from the un that actually famine around the world has been decreasing exponentially i mean from i think from 2012 from 2020 i think they wanted to half it so so they halved the famine and then also uh the extreme poverty but then of course because for extreme poverty there's a rate of 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 monetary capacity per day right so i think it's maybe now like 1.5 euros per day and if a family or a person lives below that it's an extreme poverty but then it keeps changing with the economic evolution and the inflation and all of that so extreme poverty is not always easy to actually um, to actually define because what is extreme poverty uh we could say okay in the United States a lot of people live in extreme poverty but most of these people have a phone have a car have a house so how we define extreme poverty is also interesting because it's not the same now as it was defined before I think maybe uh, in the 19th century and I'm, I'm just giving an idea of what could be extreme poverty at the time extreme poverty were literally like nothing to eat and no roof over your head and just living on the street um and that was most of the people uh with hardly any food um, to consume and now maybe extreme poverty or specifically in western countries might be understood differently so people still have food on their tables people still have a roof over their heads but maybe it's like uh um i don't know they can't afford a new pair of shoes for example it's not really that right extreme poverty is a very very serious topic but i'm I'm just saying how how the definition has been shifting throughout the years so i really do believe that today most be, most people are really living better lives all around the world um a lot of numbers are there through the un if you want to go and check them out um and that's something that really is kind of working in a way right uh so the people that still think that regimes and this is goes as much for the communists and marxists as much as it goes for the neo-nazis and the fascists right uh if you really think that your regimes work go and look at history and everything that happened before that uh it really isn't a good way to go and what's easy is that fascism is very easy to 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 locate and to see you know when someone's become too too close to that right far right area right uh I start speaking about well racial superiority and um, and and all that stuff uh, the, uh, the fascists like to speak about 
uh, racial superiority, but that's something else. That today we we tend to call everyone a fascist. Uh, like I explained before, if if you go a bit too far to the right, like asking for lower taxes, bam, fascist. Right, and then we're vulgarizing, we're completely vulgarizing the word, and now everyone is a fascist. For example, in Spain, if you're of any centre-right party, you're called facha, fascist, fascista. And then again, towards the left, you call, you're called them Reds anyway, and the Reds were probably the, the the Republicans and the Communists at the time. But in any case, so this vulgarizing of vocabulary that really is really so disrespectful for the people that really did live under these regimes and people that really know what. what what misery these regimes can cause, namely fascism and communism. Um, the only issue now is that we don't really know where the limit on communism is or where the limit on the left is, which I personally think there's a limit on everything. Um, we should be really careful. We should keep always a good balance between good things and bad things and keep everything in check. Um, but we shouldn't shift too far to the extremes. And I, that's something that's happening today a lot more on the left than on the right we all keep we all keep speaking about the rise of of, of the of the extreme right or the of the outright right uh, it's not at all the case i mean it of course there are still people on the extreme right spectrum right but it's not as much as you can see on the extreme left and uh to keep saying that our real problem is fascism today it's it's still a problem, but I think the number one spot it will get in the extreme left is our number one problem today because it's the one with the most exponential increase and people are still buying the, that's, that kind of narrative. Right. So people are buying are still buying that kind of narrative and, um, and we need to find a way to stop that in a way. And my way was to have these discussions and explain a bit my point of view and where I see things and how I see things. Well, I think we will go into these topics a bit more in depth also in other episodes. But I really appreciate if you manage to survive on this episode 15 minutes. And um, yeah, if you saw the second episode, I guess you'll be having a few shots this episode too because I, I've said kind of a bit. Uh, okay, so thank you very much for listening, everyone. I am Isma Pai Civico, and this was the Civic Podcast. See you next time.